Well, I'm excited for you to get to hear from Josh Washington today. He's our youth pastor. He's going to finish our El Nombre series today. Uh, man, just a, a powerful message and powerful story he has to, to share with you. And, and as he comes, uh, I just want to you to know if you've got a middle schooler or high schooler, uh, they've got middle school gatherings and high school gatherings that are launching this week in homes. And so you'll hear more about that through email, on social media. It'll be on our app this week. But I want you to know about that. If you've got a middle schooler or a high schooler, get them involved in our youth ministry. It's called City Youth. They meet every Sunday at 1130 during our 1130 hour down the hall. They've got their own service. And then this week, and then we'll be back after Christmas break, obviously, but they'll be having middle school and high school gatherings uh, in homes. And we hope to see those multiply and grow all over the city. But as Josh comes, would you help me welcome him and thank him for coming to share today? Josh. Thank you, Clayton. All right. So yes, as you know, we're finishing our series today, El Nombre, the names of God and the attributes of God. So to get to know me a little bit. So I grew up here in Lubbock, Texas, played basketball at Monterey and then played basketball for a man that you know as being a mean, angry old man. His name is, you probably say it with me, Bobby Knight. Yes. So I played basketball at Texas Tech for Bobby Knight and it was a good experience, but also a rough experience. So I was there for two years and it was hard. And I told my dad, I said, dad, I need to probably do something different. So I transferred after two years to a small school down in South Texas. And I finished my career there in 2007. And then I went overseas. Now you may not know how basketball works, but if you're not good enough for the NBA, you go overseas and you play basketball. And so I spent time in Germany, and China, and Bulgaria, all kind of places. But the best place I played is in Canada. And the reason it's the best place is because I met my beautiful wife, Lauren, in Canada. Now here is real love, right? So she's from British Columbia. So there's what, rain and trees, and there's a forest, and there's mountains. And I got her to move to Lubbock, Texas. That's real love, people. But Lauren and I have two beautiful children. My daughter Mila is almost three years old. She's a day after Christmas baby. So I'm like, oh, baby girl, we're gonna have two birthday parties for you, don't worry. My son Luca just turned one and we are expecting my third child, a baby boy in April. So I have three children in my home, so pray for me. It's not gonna be a game at all. But basketball gave me my nicknames, but the first nickname I ever had was from my dad. He's probably watching, dad, I love you. So. I don't know where this nickname comes from, but he calls me Book, B-O-O-K-E. I've got it tattooed on my back. So guys, I was that guy when we played basketball in high school and you, and you take your shirt off. You're like, what's that say? Like, don't worry about it. It's a nickname, B-O-O-K-E. But when I got to college, I had a little bit of a jump shot. I was okay. And I had a good friend, you know, the name of Andre Emmett. So Andre Emmett was brutally murdered last year, but he was a fantastic player here at Texas Tech. He called me Jay Wet, right? So my first name is Josh and wet means if your jumper is wet like water, he called me Jay Wet. So that's what I went by at Tech. Then when I transferred to Corpus Christi A&M, I had another teammate and his nickname was Scooby. I don't know where Scooby got his nickname, but Scooby called me the name Rick Fox. If you know who Rick Fox is, he's a, a light-skinned guy and his hair was kind of floppy and it was long. So he thought I looked like Rick Fox. So that's what he called me. But the ultimate name I have is for my wife, 
She calls me babe, and I'm sure your husbands, you know, your wife calls you babe. I don't hear her call Josh when she says, Josh, I'm probably in trouble. And I'm like, uh, yes, Lauren, right? Because her name is Lauren, so I call her Lauren when I'm in trouble. I'm like, all right, Lauren, what do you want? But those are the nicknames that people gave me in the attributes. And we're talking about this, so I encourage you to open up the app, City Church Lubbock, and follow along. If you haven't gone back, watch the old ones. But today, we're talking about God is righteous. God is righteous. Now, you know we've been in the book by Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, so it means a study of God. That's what theology means. And Wayne Grudem says this in his book. He says, God's righteousness means that God always, God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of right. So that is very tough because sometimes like, you know that person, right? That's like, God, that person is always right. That's my wife. I hate to be wrong and she's always right. So it's that person you have in your head. That person is always right and I can't stand them. So when I give basketball lessons, right? So I give basketball lessons. I was an okay basketball player. I know it's going to be a hard workout for 45 minutes or an hour. And I tell the kids, I'm like, hey, there's three things I want of you. The first is to have a good attitude. Have a good attitude because this is going to be a hard workout. It's going to be tough, but I promise you'll get better. The next thing I ask of a player is to be willing to learn something new. So, son, I've told you 15 times your elbow is out. Shrink that elbow down so your shot goes forward. That's why it's going left because your elbow is out. Get your feet straight towards the basket and shoot with your elbow straight. So I always ask them, be willing to learn something new. And three is... Have fun. It's going to be hard. You're going to sweat. Have fun. So these are three things you need to know about me that I believe about God, and it'll set the stage for our time here today. The first one is he exists. He exists. I believe with all my heart that God exists, that he is real, and that he is ready to love us. Number two is he revealed himself, and you can even put a note there, through the scriptures, the Bible. He revealed himself through the scriptures. And three... He loves me. So important to really believe and understand that God is the God of love and that he loves you. Now, where do we get this, this idea of God being the final standard of right or truth or knowledge or God being free? You've heard in this series, God being the final standard of all you see. Well, in Genesis 1-1, it says this, in the beginning, God, and you can mic drop right there. You could go home from that. In the beginning, God, because that means that God gets to set the tone for whatever else comes after that verse. He gets to say, this is how it's going to go. He sets the rules and the tone, and, it, and it, he himself is the final standard of right. Now, the game of basketball, right? I believe basketball is the greatest game ever in Venice. So Dr. James Aiden like Naismith invented the game of basketball over 120 years ago. And then he created it with the 13 original rules. So there must be five on five. There must be a basket. A basket is worth two points. A free shot is worth one point. You must dribble an offense and a defense. Because James Naismith created the game of basketball, therefore he gets to say how it goes. If we take out one of those rules, it's no longer basketball. If you see a basketball game and see somebody doing this like LeBron James and he's never dribbling, I'm like, hey, that's, that's traveling, LeBron, but that's the NBA. That's a little different. But the same thing, I'm a basketball referee. 
Oh, you're like, ooh, I know I didn't like this guy. Basketball referee, so I'm a basketball referee, so my job is to, it says in our rule book, enforce the rules as written. It's my job to call the foul, to call the travel, to call the double dribble. Even though there's some things I don't like about that rule, the rule book says that rule is right. And it's my job as official to enforce it. So here's the thing we need to know about God. God is, he is creator. God is creator. And he gets to create those things that you see. So the next thing we need to know about this is God is always right. God is always right. And I know you have that person in your mind that I told you about that's always thinking they're right. But here's what the scriptures say about God always being right. So the first one is in Deuteronomy. It says this. It says, he is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is what? Just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. So he's always right. Who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Next one is this in Psalm 19 verse 8. It says this. It says, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart or better yet to my heart. <laughs> the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Last one in Isaiah says this. It says, I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Now, here's the thing about this. If God is always right, if he is a final standard of that word that we hear over and over, then what does he do with wrong? If he's a final standard of right, there's right and wrong in the world, and it's hard to understand, but we need to really experience and know that God punishes sin. Now you might be thinking, oh, here we go. Here's a message about somebody telling me how sinful I am. I don't come to church enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't do this. I don't do that. No, that is religion. That is not freedom in Jesus. But at the same time, we must understand that this is a, a real thing in life. So you never know the word sin. You may have never looked it up before. We come to church all the time, we hear sin and sin is sin, but an actual definition of sin is this. It says this, it's an immoral act considered to be a transgression or a wrongdoing against divine law. It's a immoral act or transgression to be against divine law. All right, now we're talking about the God of the Bible. I'm not talking about just some theological thing that we're learning about or a theist or a deist Right? I'm talking about the God of the Bible. He is the final standard of right. He wrote and he wants your life to be clean and good. He loves you. So here's what he, he talks about sin. Sin is destructive. Sin in your life is destructive. For me personally, sin in my life destroyed so many things about who I was. And God talks about this in Genesis Way back in the Old Testament, he has Cain and Abel, and he says this in Genesis 4, 7. He says, is it not true that if you do what is right, then you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you. I'll say it again. It desires to dominate you, but you must 
subdue it. You must master sin. You must overcome sin. Because think about in your life or in a, a friend's life or in somebody else that you know, when has sin ever been good? Never. When has sin ever been good in someone's life when they lose their family or their husband or their wife or their children because they've done something and you're like, ah, that person we've all seen on, we've all seen it so many times. We saw it on media this week. There was a mega church pastor that lost everything because sin was crouching at the door. You must learn to master it. But this is what we need to understand. Please, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this and have this in your heart. God is angry at sin, not me. God is angry at sin because sin is destructive. So many people come to church. I'm not going to church. I'm not going into the house. I'm not going to church. It would catch on fire if I came in church. Well, that'd be everybody. We all catch on fire because we're all sinful, right? God is angry at sin not me, but because we are sinful to the core, I know, we know that the scriptures are very clear that everybody in here has fallen short. We all know the scripture we're going to read in Romans 3.23. We all know it. It says this. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So if this is true, if this is how the scriptures tell us about life, here's where we fit. In Romans 1.18, it says this. It says, for God in heaven unveils his holy anger breaking forth against every form of sin. It says, Botorn's ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the what? The truth, acknowledging the truth about God. Is this not our world today? So many things happening in our world and so many people are turning and saying, oh, that's cool if you do the God thing, but that's not for me. He says, I'm the final standard of truth. I'm the final standard of all that's known. I'm the final standard of right. But no one wants to be told that we need to change. So I'm a basketball referee, like I told you. Love the referees. So people are wondering, how do referees make it to the NBA? So I'm trying to be a Division I official, an NBA official. So we have basketball referee camps. You're like, oh, you go to a basketball camp. Yes, I still go to camp. So every year we go to this camp and we sign up and pay $250. And I'm like, boy, they're trying to get my money, but I want to be a referee, so I go. And so we go to this camps and you're in full gear. Pants, shirt, whistle, it's a full game, you're ref, and I've got a number on my back. And they critique you like you would never believe. Hey, your pants are too tight. Your pants are too short. You're probably thinking that right now, your pants are too tight. Pants are too short. Your shirt is not tailored. Uh, you know, like your shoes aren't shined. The way you blow the whistle is not hard enough. You put your hand out instead of up. When you go to the table to report a foul, it's here instead of here. They will critique you and break you down so that you think you're no good. It's only to make you better. It's only to make you better. But no one likes to be called out, especially me. I will start with me through this whole message. It's hard for me to hear the truth. But have you made up your own God? I'm here to ask you today, have you made up your own truth about how God operates? 
Have you continually heard something over and over and saying, this is the truth when it's really not the truth. And I know that's hard for me and for you. Now I've got a little girl, right? And she's going to be three years old soon. And it was time to potty train my daughter, Mila. So we're potty training her and her mother, Lauren, is doing it because I was doing dad things, which is nothing, watching TV. I'm just kidding. That's not true. And so we're doing, we're doing this. And Mila, for three days in a row, they teach you to just strip down and it's time to learn to potty, right? So we pick up all of our carpets and we pick up our mats and everything just in case there's an accident, right? So you have this little naked girl running around your house for two days saying, I have to go potty, right? So we get it. She finally learns to do it. She's got a little Minnie Mouse potty that she can sit on. And she says, Daddy, I went potty. Or Mama, I went potty. So there's a little, a little hand on the side. It's a lever. It's a Minnie Mouse little white glove. You know what it looks like. And you push it every time. And for the longest time, I thought it said, hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. So we're pushing it. And I'm like, baby, hip, hip, hooray. So my wife walks by one day. She says, what did you say? And I said, hip, hip, hooray. And she says, sweetheart, listen again to what it says. So I'm like, okay, because she's always right, right? Your wife is always right. So I, so I push, I get my face close to it after I clean it, right? Because my daughter's bum has been there. So I, I clean it and I get real close and I push the lever and it says, we went potty. And I was like, we went potty. And I'm like, it doesn't say hip hip hooray. <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm like, I thought it said hip hip hooray for months. Not weeks, guys, months. I'm saying this hip, hip, hooray. And my wife has to correct me saying, no, sweetheart. She's very nice and very kind, right? I'm just kidding. But she says, it says something else, right? In the same way, I want you to ask yourself, have you been hearing something over and over? That's not the truth. Now, you may be sitting here, man, what's the good news? All right, for 15 minutes, this guy's been telling me about sin, and he gives me a definition of sin and all this. But remember what I said at the beginning. I believe God exists. He revealed himself, and he loves me. So this is the good news. You ready? It's that God punished the sin. Oh, wait. I thought we already filled that in on the app, that God punished the sin. But here's what It is for God. He wants to remove the sin from your life. He wants you to not feel guilty. He loves you and is ready to accept you just as you are. He's going to remove it. He says this in the Psalms. He says this. He says, farther from a sunrise to a sunset. That's how far you've removed our guilt from us. That's how far you've removed our guilt from us. How is this possible? How is this possible? Everything for me about my life changed when I actually gave my life to Jesus. When I actually said, Jesus, here I am. Here's what I am. I'm this. I'm no good. All that kind of stuff. I wasn't shaming myself, but I was being honest and saying, Jesus, take my life. Here it is. A lot of people know me watching that. I was in a club every single night every single night, and I was drunk, driving home, all this kind of stuff, smoking weed, sleeping around. That was me for 15 years of my life. And then Jesus came in and changed it. But I have friends. I have friends say, man, the God is cool, the God thing, but Jesus, no, I don't get down with Jesus, bro. 
I don't get down, but Jesus even says this in John 14, 1. He says, don't worry or surrender. Don't worry or surrender to your fear. For you believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. I had a student a long time ago. I worked at Estacado High School. And he would say, Mr. Washington, I don't believe in that Jesus. I don't believe in that. Like it's crazy that he walked on water and that he rose from the dead and all this kind of stuff. You're telling me that that's who I have to believe in. And I shared this verse with him. And I said, I believe Jesus is the savior of the world. And I believe he did three things for me that changed the course of my life. Josh Washington, broken, hurting, insecure, always trying to cover up things with basketball. I believe he did three things. The first is that he covered my sin. Jesus covered sin. Jesus covered sin and says this in Romans 3, verses 21 to 24. It says, but now... Independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through who? Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come true. Remember, Clayton said that God is the God of knowledge. So he knew this was coming. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe All who believe, no matter what you are, boy, girl, black, white, all who believe in him receive that gift. Here's that verse again. For there is no difference between us. For we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, that means you're free to go. God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades or pours over us. All because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us, everybody in this room, everybody watching, everybody listening. He has liberated us from the guilt and the punishment and the power of sin. Jesus has freed you from your sin. Jesus has covered you from sin. Now I've had friends, like I said, I've got a lot of friends that say, well, I went down to the altar one time when I was 12 years old. I said a little prayer and I'm good. If you really believe that Jesus has covered your sin, it will push you to a place of worship. It'll push you to a place of saying, this is actually the life that I'm going to live because I believe Jesus covered my sin. It pushes you to not say, oh, I'm good because I'm doing this, that I'll be fine. I know Jesus loves me. Yes, he loves you. He covered your sin, but he did it in such a way that should push you to your knees and to your face saying, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I've got a good friend of mine. Love Brad Ingram at Hillside Christian Church. Love this guy. He was there for me at the very beginning. I sent him a text. I said, Brad, what do you think of when you hear righteousness? And he said this. He says, when I think of justice and righteousness, I do not think of a fallen world. I think of my own personal sin, my own personal sin compared to the grandness of God. And it pushes me to a place of worship and gratitude for who he is and what he has done for me. He has made me righteous and gave me right standing to have a relationship with him when I don't deserve it. So me and Brad and you, if you truly believe that you've been made made right with God, it pushes you to a place of worship. The second thing is this. 
is that Jesus conquered sin. Once and for all, Jesus conquered sin. It says this in Hebrews verse 10, verse 12. It says, it says, but when this priest had offered up Jesus, when this priest had offered up the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on a throne at the right hand of God. There is nothing more that you can do today to earn the love of God. If you don't hear anything, hear that there's nothing more that you can do to earn his favor, his love, his forgiveness, because Jesus did it all. And he sat down, if you know, so sat down means it's finished. Sat down means I sat down at the right hand of the Father and nothing more can be done. So live in such a way that you can understand that everything is done. The final thing is this. Jesus condemned sin. Now, Jesus condemned sin. You may be like, why is he using that word there? Jesus condemned sin. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says this. It says, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the same place with the wild beasts and the false prophet. The lake of fire and sulfur were they evil, destruction, death. All that stuff will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. He's the only one that's going to do all this for us. He's the only one that's going to be able to cover, conquer, and he's going to punish sin. He's the one that's going to do it. So here's my story. I grew up with a stutter. A really, really, really bad stutter. And every time that my teacher, Miss Dunn, God rest her soul, every week she'd make me get up and read in front of my classmates. And I would say, Miss, Miss, Miss Dunn, please don't make me. And every week she would push me and say, honey, you can do this. Honey, you've got this. So all the times that I would play good in high school and in college and in overseas, I sometimes, and this is not a joke, I sometimes would want to not play good so they wouldn't ask me for an interview. I knew that if I played good, they were going to ask me to the back of the room and I was going to have to go and there's a bunch of people like you waiting and I sit down in front of a microphone and they ask me a bunch of questions and I have to squeeze my fist and say, yeah, the game went, went, the game went good. Terrifying. The same thing is up here, but because of what Jesus has done by his glory, by his spirit, I can stand before you today with a much of a much more clear voice than I've ever had in my life. Because of what he's done for me, I stand before you a new man who was drunk five nights a week, crying out to God, but the next day would do it again. Every single night I would drink so that I could sleep and here's why. A long time ago, some things happened in me. Some things happened. All right, so I let some demons really into my life. I was that guy that was trying every drug, was doing everything sexually, all that kind of stuff. And I let some stuff in. But seven years ago, 
It was a very tough night. I had my first encounter with a demon, an actual demonic presence who I could see, who I could feel, who I could touch. And for the next three years of my life, I did not sleep at all. And I'm not joking. Three years of my life, I lived on Red Bull and five-hour energy because every single night the demons would come and I would scream and I moved in with my grandmother. I was so terrified to sleep that I'm sleeping in the same bed with my grandmother. She could attest to this. My wife has seen me locked up. I can't move all because these demons would come back night after night. I'm jumping out of bed saying, Jesus, Jesus. I never was the same. So many people ask Josh, how did it change for you? How did everything switch in an instant? And I tell them, it's not because I went down to the altar and prayed. It's because God allowed me to see the destructiveness that sin had done to me. He allowed me to see, this is what it's done to you, young man. I have so much more for you. It's not a heaven or hell thing. It's a living life to the full, especially in 2019, in 2020, in 2021. In the future, everything that you see, all the evil is going to be wiped away every pain, every destruction, every hurt is going to be made new. It says this in Revelation. It says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Every single thing you know about a child dying, about cancer, about COVID, all the injustice in the world, the racial injustice and just the social injustice in general, all that is gonna be gone because the answer we have is in Jesus. Yes, God was righteous and he had to punish sin, but he did that for me and for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no one else that can do that for us. That's the hope we have. The big idea for this week is this, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God meets the mercy of God on the cross of Christ. The righteousness, God is the final standard of right. It met his mercy, his love, his care for us as humanity on the cross of Christ. So I ask you today, I plead with you today, if you've never actually given your life to Jesus, I stand before you a new creation. I used to be a drunk. I was a drunk. I was terrified to speak because I stuttered. Stand before you a new creation. If you've never given your heart, your mind, your soul, your job, your kids, your family, give it all to Jesus. He's the one that will save us. He's the one that saved me. He's the one that saved my dad. 
He's the one that saved my family. That's what Jesus is. It's not a game. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. I thank you, Jesus, that no matter what we do, you have open arms waiting for us, hearing our hearts, hearing our cries, but most of all, that you came and lived the perfect sinless life on our behalf, that you died on a cross, that you were buried three days later, you rose again, and that every single person within the sound of my voice sitting here that is watching a year from now, a month from now, or tomorrow, or today, Jesus, you, you, you know them and that you died for them. I ask Jesus that if someone is here today that has never accepted the free gift that only you offer, that today is their day. It is a new birthday. It's a heaven birthday, that heaven receives another soul and that this earth receives someone who's willing to live life to the full. We love you, Jesus. We ask and pray these things in your name. Amen.